It's time for JT the Brick. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Ranch, all summer long. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. I stopped into a Walmart. I had no idea he was there. We talked a bit about some old Raider stuff. He was super. We went back and forth. I think every current wide receiver in it, not only NFL, but every current wide receiver, period, needs to be at that induction thing for Cliff. JT the Brick. I want to know when you met Cliff, what your favorite play was with him. So we had a blast. We hung out in there. We got pictures of the boys with the ring. Talked to him a little bit. Cliff Ranch was the he was a standout player. The way he ran his routes, his hands, his speed was unbelievable. The plays that I recall with Branch was him going down the left sideline, getting behind the DB, and his left hand going up, give me the ball, give me the ball. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, as we continue post-Cliff Branch Hall of Fame recap show, on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. A lot of name dropping today, and I'm good with that. Because when you can name drop and back it up because you're dropping names with people you were with, I'm good with that. And that was what this trip was all about, meeting people, relationships, having a good time. And I want to begin again by saying thanks to Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. You know, Remy Martin is a great partner of ours. And with the botanist gin and everything that we do with the 1738, And all of their great products that we love so much. We want to thank Remy Martin. No chance I'm in Canton without Remy Martin. They are a proud partner of the show. And they were able to help us get out there to do content and shows and all of that. And they'll be with us for the entire football season. You can go to the Remy Martin room in the back of the Raiders Tavern and Grill and have a great time. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. And thank you so much for this Canton trip. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to get into... There's a couple of the stories from Canton as we've been talking about this today. And one that blew me away was Mark Davis and his staff, the people that work for the Raiders, are incredible. Cheryl Nichols, Shannon Jordan, these are people behind the scenes. Fudgy, who's been with the Raiders for a long time. Everyone in the alumni department, Callie and Katie, see I'm name dropping the right people who had everything to do with this. They put together a hotel for Cliff Branch. Now, I was aware of this, but I didn't know it until I saw it. So when we got into Canton, the Hyatt Place is one of the big hotels, and they took it over. So it was just a Raiders hotel. And you walked in into the lobby, and it was breathtaking to see the detail. All of Cliff Branch, everywhere in the hotel. So in the lobby, imagine you're at a Hyatt, and you go there, and there's a seascape or a landscape. All of that was removed. And Cliff Branch posters were framed and put up. And you're looking around the lobby. And in the lobby, there's these balloons with 21, a 21. It was just gorgeous. Like you're at the Academy Awards on the red carpet. And then you go into this coffee room and it's Cliff's Cafe. And everything is just over the top. And I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. So I get my room key and I go to my room and I click on and I walk in. And I was brought to tears, literally grown man, almost brought to tears. I go into the room and everything is Cliff Branch in the room. No exaggeration. Again, the posters framed of Cliff over the bed, over the desk, over the TV. And I looked to this area where there was a suite type area. There was a couch, coffee table, and there's a coffee table official yearbook of the class of the Hall of Fame. Then there was a Raider blanket over the couch and then there were these pillows that said speed kills and cliff branch 21 and then towels 
the towels had the number 21 black towel. I brought it home with me. Of course I brought it home with me. I wouldn't leave it. And I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. I called my wife. I took a video of the room. And I just could not believe it. The Cliff Branch cookie. Whatever it was in the room was incredible. So that's the attention to detail. And I got to tell you that no other team, if you look at the greatest franchises in all of the NFL with money and history, you have the Steelers, you have the Packers. The Bears are not known for being a very generous organization. But Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft, as of late, they don't stand anywhere near the Raiders. They don't have departments like that. They don't do this. Why? Because I know guys who got inducted on other teams that didn't do anything like this for that. Forget about the Diana Ross stuff that we talked about earlier. So just the attention to detail. And at the end of the party, our gift was they gave us a throwback bag. And it looks like it's from the 70s. It's faded brown leather. And it's just a sports bag that Cliff Branch brought into the days at the Coliseum in Oakland. And it's authentic, and it's plushed leveler. I'm holding it now. It's an incredible gift. And inside this bag, this duffel bag, this sports bag, is a crystal Cliff Branch Hall of Fame. Just beautiful piece of crystal and just the pins and shirts and all of that. So incredible detail. So back to the hotel. So every night we got there on Wednesday, and there was a reception in the lobby. And you saw the magnitude of how many alumni were there. Mark Van Egan, George Atkinson, Lester Hayes. You just look around the room, Kenny King, Reggie Kinlaw. And these guys are hanging out in the hotel. These are guys who are not like, hey, what's the fanciest restaurant? I want to run to the club. In Canton, there's no clubs. I want to do this. These guys just hung in the lobby for the whole week and were having a good time, drinking beer, open bar, of course, having a great time. So every night... When I came back to the hotel, Wednesday I stayed there, but Thursday night was a big night out. Friday night, gold jacket party. And then Saturday night after Cliff's party, these gentlemen, these former players, these alumni, were sitting on a back outside balcony or patio, excuse me. And there was, at times there were 40 guys, 20 guys. The last night after the party, Mark Davis was out there hosting. I thought Mark was still at the party. Mark was back with his guys. These are Mark's guys from his era. He was back there having a cigar, hanging out, and we were all just talking and having conversations, and I just listened. And the fact that they listened to me, if I interject, hey, George Atkinson, JT, what do you think of this, that? So we were just having these conversations, which were unbelievable, and mostly about their era and what they think about the time now. One of the poll questions that they put out at the hall and we were talking about is who's the greatest four defenders of all time ever in Hall of Fame history. Lawrence Taylor, Ronnie Lott. Right, so Lawrence Taylor, Ronnie Lott, Reggie White. And the fourth one's left blank. We have Mount Rushmore, no matter what Jalen Rose says, and the hell with Jalen Rose for wanting to get rid of Mount Rushmore. Too bad, Jalen Rose. I will never get rid of Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is a big thing I use in sports all the time because there's only four presidents on Mount Rushmore, not five. David Letterman came out with a top ten list. In sports, we like to do top five. Mount Rushmore is top four. And we were talking about who should be that fourth guy. You want to talk about a conversation. And Aaron Donald was very high on that list. Even the old-timers who played in the 70s and early 80s were like, yeah, yeah, Aaron Donald's pretty good. But to hear them go back and forth on Dion compared to Lester Hayes, 
or to go back and forth on Deacon Jones to Reggie White. Really cool conversations. So a lot of the conversations are private. I'm not going to repeat it. There wasn't there were anything crazy or divisive or controversial at all. But uh, George Atkinson and I and a couple of guys, we were talking about Josh Jacobs playing and why he should be playing or not play. And again, I'm going to keep that conversation mostly private. But to hear Kenny King and to hear George Atkinson and to hear Reggie Kinlaw and Raymond Chester, Ira Matthews, all these guys debate that topic was fascinating to me. Because Josh Jacobs, and I listened to the morning show today, and people are still talking about that. And Josh McDaniels, as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, is getting you know, peppered on that question, why is Josh Jacobs playing? It's for competition. And George and I were going back and forth on that, having a really cool conversation about how running backs need to touch the football in the preseason. Again, if a running back blows out his knee in a preseason game, it could get ugly. It's a topic you don't want to have. It could get very controversial. But this is a different regime now, a new head coach and a GM, and they want to see these guys battle work and be under a competitive environment. So that conversation went on for about an hour. And to hear the guys who played, remember, different era, different guys. These guys played more preseason games. Freddie Bolitnikoff played six. Six. He told us on the show in the summer of Cliff how much he played in the preseason. And the guys who played back in the day believed that everybody should play or at least play a little bit and find some rhythm with their teammates. George was explaining defensively with Jack Tatum and Skip Thomas. How about those names and Willie Brown and all the preseason games that they played in and their footwork and how they went up against some players that would play in the regular season that they picked up stuff in the preseason. But now we're in a different era because players are making $45 million a year. Quarterbacks at 50. Running backs, even though they don't get paid as much, a ton of money compared to what the legends made like Earl Campbell, Barry Sanders, going back to Jim Taylor back in the day. Back in the day, if you got hurt, you got hurt. You didn't have the orthopedics. You didn't have the medicine, the doctors that you have today. Now you can have a meniscus surgery and be back and play. Back then, imagine what it was like, the medical technology to get someone healthy. You had a really big injury. So that being said, I just wanted to chime in on the Josh Jacobs comment because when I was down on the sidelines before the game on Thursday night and saw everyone, everyone in pads knowing that you have to dress and to see Devontae warm up and Derek Carr and all that, I was wondering, I had to go do the pregame show. I didn't know who was playing. No one was coming up to me saying, and we'll have a production meeting this week for the Minnesota game at home, but I didn't know who was playing and sitting. I assumed everybody was going to sit, and then Josh Jacobs came out after a rain delay, a lightning delay, and came out there and played. I understand why he played. The depth chart at running back is deep. It is very deep, and he's the position now that the Raiders have really good players behind him. God forbid if anything happened. I thought Josh McDaniels explained it beautifully today. He wants to see the tempo and the rhythm and the chemistry with the offensive line and the running backs here. So it's fascinating to talk to players and and discuss with players the difference between different eras and what they would do now compared to back in the day. But just shocking when these guys, these legends, hear about a guy playing two series. And as they roll their eyes, they're like, give me a break. You can get hurt any time, any moment in practice. Cutting, planting, moving your knee, whatever you're doing. 
if you're that worried about a player getting hurt in a preseason game because he's going to play one series or two series, then you got bigger problems to worry about. Then you're going to be nervous as hell all the time. And whatever goes on with Waller and when we're going to see Waller, I know Darren well. He's a class act. His contract status, I don't get involved with people's money on the team. And I, from knowing these guys, I've never done a radio show where I'm talking about a guy getting overpaid or underpaid. I have to work with them. I have to interview them. I think it'll be all straightened out with Darren Waller. And when I saw him in practice a few times, he looks like a beast. But for Josh Jacobs to play, I don't know what he's going to do the rest of the way. For those who think they're shopping him or not, they made it pretty clear that they're not. And for Josh McDaniels to let him play a little bit and get a rhythm with that offensive line, which we all know is not the strength of the team. Let's get that out of the way because I don't have a lot of content to give you in between games until I see the games, right? We can sit here and speculate at practice, well, this DB earlier today got burned on a route against someone, whatever. And I don't talk a lot about practice squad players and guys who might make the team until they make the team. I don't spend a lot of time on this show talking about, well, you know, Meek Robertson or this player or that player or this seventh receiver could be the, we can wait. We'll get the roster at 53, and then we have 17 weeks of Raider Nation Radio and a bye week to discuss everybody and who's playing and who shouldn't be here next year and who's playing above expectation and all of that. I like to keep it pretty simple in the preseason And we're going to get to a point, I think, after the Miami preseason game where it's going to get good here because we're going to have three or four players on the bubble. And then we'll all take your calls and suggestions on who should go to the practice squad. Is there going to be a move? Look, I've been telling you more than anybody, I think the Raiders have got to get an offensive lineman. I think the Raiders will get an offensive lineman. I'm assured in my mind that they will get one who will start because of a cut down from another team. Just a good player getting released for money purposes, and the Raiders can go in there and get a starter. Get a starter, not a guy who's going to help with depth. But then again, Dave Ziegler might get a, get some guy that can play right tackle and left guard and bring him in, and initially that that player would be a second-string player, but we'll all know that eventually that player with his name recognition and value could start. But I just wanted to share, to hear Kenny King and Reggie Kinlaw and Raymond Chester, there was one point, you know, George Atkinson was kind of the leader of this, you know, patio crew. You know, George is amazing. What a mentor. And George is there, and everybody's talking, everybody's talking, everybody's talking over each other. And then someone says, Raymond's got something to say. And the whole room, the whole outdoor patio, cigar smoke, beers, everybody talking. Raymond, what do you think? And Raymond Chester steps up, and he gives his opinion. And you're just sitting there going, wow. That's, that's, for me, the honor of working for this team and having those few moments. And they're few, but when they're big, I try to share it with you. It's incredible because at the party, the music's loud. Diana Ross, people talking football, talking to Cliff Harris, the Hall of Famer, about George Atkinson. He said he was just as good as me. He goes, JT, I'm in the Hall of Fame. George, is, George was just as good as me. Just, you know, to hear those conversations, Warren Moon at the party, Warren Moon talking about, you know, Raider legends. And what do you think of Lester Hayes? And Warren Moon's like, come on, come on. The guy should have been in the Hall of Fame 20 years ago. Those are the conversations I can share with you. But other ones, you know, I want to keep it private because some of the things that are said are meant to be private. But I can go back for the rest of my life and to say 
you know, being in Canton this year, I went in with pretty high expectations because I was friends with Cliff. It exceeded everything. It exceeded all of my expectations. I knew about Diana Ross probably two or three days beforehand because they had to keep it a secret, and I was emceeing the party. Didn't tell anybody. No one knew about it. And when she came out, when she came out from behind that stage and played and to see everyone's look on their face, the widow of Gene Upshaw, uh, Mrs. Plunkett, and then to look and see Mrs. Davis in a wheelchair next to the stage as people are holding her hand and she's smiling to see that. Just bravo. The president of the Raiders, Sandra looking down at Diana Ross, Marcel Reese, all their families looking out. It was incredible. Man, it's a, it was a five days, four nights that I will never forget. A lot of storytelling today for the obvious reasons. We got sound. We're talking about the trip. If you went, if we had a chance to see you, bravo to the Raider fans who were there, who did an incredible job. The Raider fans who were there that got down because it was a smaller crowd than expected because they put it on during the day. If it was on at night, there would have been 10,000 more people. The crowd wasn't that big overall, but it was a big Raider crowd. And all of you in the Raider Nation really represented well. 702-365-9200. Again, uh, this conversation was brought to you by Remy Martin. And I want to thank everybody on the Remy Martin team for sending me out to Canton, Ohio. Team up for excellence. They are a proud partner of our show and a big reason why I get a chance to tell stories like this. On the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation, 920 a.m. Yeah, you start to see uh, the habits that have been formed or we have yet to form, you know, and that's really what you can see in the game is they have to revert to what they feel comfortable with and subconsciously what they know. Um, they, they don't have time to stop and think about, you know, once the ball snaps, should I make this decision or should I make that decision? They got to go and react. And so, uh, like I said, it, it gave us a pretty clear blueprint on, all right, we're, we're doing okay here, but we need, you know, these things to improve. And so um, I think they do understand the why. I think the habits we're trying to form here, the fundamentals we're trying to continue to work on, the techniques that we're drilling um, we're not there yet, uh, but I don't know that any team would be there at this point, and so that's where our focus is going to be for sure this week. That's head coach Josh McDaniels at a preseason game number two. JT, back with you on Raider Nation Radio, coming to you from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, driving the fan base and this unbelievable audience that we have here on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, turn it up, Bobby. Yeah, that's Olivia Newton-John. She passed away today at the age of 73, so big impact on Vegas. She did a lot of gigs here in Vegas. Man, my sisters are hurting today. This is a sound soundtrack of my youth coming out of my sister's room next to me as a kid. And, wow, what a performer, movies, everything she did. Olivia Newton-John, rest in peace. All right, let's move on. I was gone since Wednesday. We get up to date on everything that's happening with Vegas with the great Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review Journal. And Mark, let's start with the Aces. I was with Mark Davis as he was with Cliff Branch's family and the Raiders out in Canton and that Sue Bird game. And it seemed like that was a big moment for the Aces and a big spot on the road to get a win. Yeah, especially coming off consecutive losses. Uh, you know, it, 
they have not been looking like a championship team recently. And so to, to go to win in Seattle in front of a, a sellout crowd on in Superbird's last home game, that was, uh, that was pretty remarkable. And, uh, Becky Hammond making that decision to, to bring, um, Derek Hamby off the bench, I think was, was really important. She'd, been a bench player until this season. She's two-time six-woman of the year, mm-hmm. um, but she'd been starting all season, and uh, they just needed the. I think Becky Hammond felt they needed the the, the spark off the bench, and and uh, I think that's the and, and the, I think they got that yesterday. So they they may have found something with the limited amount of games that they have in the WNBA compared to the NBA, and peaking at the right time. You know what? What is your philosophy on that? I don't cover it as closely as you do when a team wants to peak. I mean, we knew the Aces would be a favorite for the championship and go deep into the playoffs. But what Becky Hammond that has to do now to get the team tweaked at the right spot so they can play the best basketball in the postseason? How does she do that? Yeah, well, I think defensively is is a, a area that they've been really been lacking, and I I don't know that uh, I don't know I don't know how you fix that with two games left in the regular season. Mm. So. That to me is going to be a big question going into the playoffs. Do they have a good enough defense to win it all? I don't know that they do. Uh, they don't need a great defense uh, because their offense is the best in the league. But the problem is that their defense is is such a detriment that uh, it, it, I think it could really cost them in, in the playoffs. And I do think the move to Hanby off the bench was big because uh, their bench has been just almost non-existent. So that, that gives them something off the bench, but. Um, yeah, they they got some. They still have some major questions. It was a really big win yesterday, but they still have some major questions going to the playoffs. I, I mean, if you tell me right now they're making the finals, I have. I mean, that wouldn't be shocked um, mm. because I think this team should should make the finals. But as far as winning all, it's 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 uh, it's going to be tough. Mark Anderson, our guest. Let's move to UNLV football. As we back Marcus Arroyo here and the quarterback situation being out at Rebels Park in the camp and what's happening there, what are you seeing now? You're only going to go in college football as far as your quarterback unless you're a pure running team and you have a great defense that could get off the field. Is this quarterback situation starting to open up and shape up a little bit so we have an idea of what they're going to do this year? I don't think we'll know anything until the season starts, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they keep a pretty tight uh Wood on things out there. Um, it's really hard to know what's really happening. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. I'm, I'm. I think I'll be you and me be kind of just figuring it out as the season starts. Uh, it, so you know, it, but I, you, as far as your general point, I'm, I'm completely with you. Yeah, they they got to get strong player of the quarterback. It's, there's there's no coincidence that the last time they made a bowl game is because they had really good play out of their quarterback. And uh, and that was the last time they had really good players or quarterbacks. So it shows you it shows you the problem, right? You you have to you have to do all that position, especially these days with the way the rules are designed. So they have not had that. And whether the, this Tennessee transfers the answer mm-hmm. or maybe Doug Brumfield, I mean, I don't know. I I like Brumfield a lot, but he can't stay healthy. If if he if you tell me right now he can stay healthy, I I like their chances to do well. Uh, and we, I've seen transfers come in here from Power Fives and not do great mm-hmm. so i i don't know i mean but maybe this guy's different maybe maybe he uh will come in here and and light it up i just but i just as far as giving you inside information i just don't have that yeah and, and that's not a problem here because harrison bailey coming over and what he was as a five-star in high school and that to get him coming out of tennessee in the scenario that they're in now i mean 
he's supposed to be ready to go. I mean, if you go back to a couple of years ago in the recruiting process with him and where he could have been, I'm not putting him at the level of Arch Manning and all the great quarterbacks that come to D1 schools. And, you know, you go to an SEC school, as you know, Mark, and you're the supposed to be the star future quarterback. You might have to wait two years because they have a junior and senior in front of you. Next thing you know, an injury, something happens, and it never comes together. That happens all the time. But you're supposed to make the transition from the SEC to UNLV and be ready to play the second you get here, right? And he may be. I mean, yeah. I, I'm. Marcus Arroyo is, is going to be very careful about mm-hmm. how he plays this out as far as publicly. He may already know who his starter is. And it may it may be Harrison Bailey. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it is. Um, so I just don't think he's going to tell the public that right now. Uh, and so it's it's hard to really know if Harrison Bailey is going out there and lighting it up and he really is the guy who's going to lead them to a bowl game or, or if he's just going to come in here and, you know, there's a reason why he didn't work at Tennessee. I I, mean, I, I really don't know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in previous, you know, coaches, it was easier, it was easier to get a sense going into the season, but with this staff, it's not. Mark Anderson's our guest, the great insider writer for the Las Vegas review journal. He joins us every Monday, every two weeks here on the show. We're thrilled to have him. So let's move on to Brandon Parker's, performance in Canton and the clearly the issue that the Raiders have at right tackle I'm, I'm all for a go to let it, Leatherwood play it he was drafted to do it he's a first rounder but he wasn't drafted by Dave Ziegler so he's one of those guys who should be playing and fighting for a position and being evaluated he's not he's not that great of a player that you bubble wrap him you need him to play and he, he was an Ironman almost at Alabama so I, I got to see a lot of improvement with him. I, I think I'm seeing a little improvement with him, but it's such a po- an important position, Mark. Yeah, no, it is, and um, yeah, it, it's it was it was really. Uh, I, I agree with you about Leatherwood. You got to get him out there. You got mm-hmm. you got to see what he's got. Uh, and I and I know he this is in the coaching staff that drafted him, uh, but I I think. I, I think they're as curious as anyone else about what what this this guy can bring, and uh, and he's still a young player. He's only so you, I mm. think you give him every chance to go out there and see what he has. And it's not like the Raiders have an offensive line that's going to you know just going to dominate up front at this point. It's still a developing offensive line. So I I think he uh, you know does he ultimately win the job at tackle? Or, or who knows? But maybe he moves back into guard. But mm. I think I think you got to find a way to get him on the field and. And then if it just doesn't work out this season, it doesn't work out this season. But he got to get at least two years. I don't think a season or one and a half years is is really enough time to fairly evaluate, especially offensive line. Those guys often develop later. Yeah, I mean, look at, look at Colton Miller. You know, look at mm-hmm. all the question marks of Colton Miller his first season. Now, you know, he, their their offensive lines built around him. So uh, maybe Weatherwood turns into that kind of player. And if you look at a lot of his mistakes last year, they were they were mental mistakes. Where he would mm-hmm. he would be a, a false start from that stuff. That stuff's all correctable. So if you can, you know that that to me isn't even a concern because that's pretty pretty fixable. But uh, if if you can, you know, if, if he can, he started at Alabama for a reason. He was a first round pick for a reason. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe in sec- this season and next season he'll he'll start to show that. Yeah, and I, you know, Dylan Parham was selected by Dave Ziegler, so Dave Ziegler can let that player develop as Dave knows him and knows the passage that he's going to have. He could start quick and blow people away, or it might be a guy who takes a year or two. But when it's not the player that you picked, I think the spotlight and the scrutiny is a little bit higher. We'll wrap it up with Josh Jacobs. I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised that he played in Canton. And 
I thought he ran well, and he looks to be ready to go. And that's what you want to see here. Running back should always be ready to go behind any offensive line. I just thought the, the big criticism I had of the Raiders coaching staff last year, and it wasn't a huge one, was they didn't run with a purpose. They ran the ball, Mark, and we talked about it. There were a lot of first downs. Hand off up the middle. The upper deck knew they were going to hand it off up the middle. Boom. Stop at the line of scrimmage. It's second and nine, second and ten. You're behind and down in distance. I think that Josh McDaniels has got four options at running back. I don't think they're going to run it into a pile on every play. So if we see Josh McDaniels one or two more times in the preseason, will you be shocked by that? No, no, I don't. And I, mm. and, and I, don't, and I don't think that he's going to – I think it's going to be what you saw in New England – it's going to be by committee, and he's pretty much made that clear that's the case here. So, Josh Jacobs is not going to be a workhorse running back. Uh, you know, they're going to they're going to run guys in and out there. And I agree. I don't think there's going to be the obvious first and ten. They're going to run the ball. I don't think that McDaniel's is going to do that. Uh, if you just look at his history, I just don't see that happening. So, um, I, I was real, I know it's just a preseason game, and it's against Jacksonville and against a bunch of backups. But I, I tell you one thing that I came across way, way impressed. And this has a lot to do with how I saw the running game develop. Mm-hmm. He, just, he just looked ball coached, you know. They, I just, I didn't see stupid penalties. I, I just, they just seemed like they knew what they were doing. I think they had a plan and a purpose, and you know, and it just so. Again, I don't want to read too much into mm-hmm. the first preseason game of the year, but uh, it, I came away pretty impressed. Yeah, I, I was satisfied with it. Impressed and. You know, satisfied with the fact they came in there wanting to win the game as a Canton, Ohio family. Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, about 30 miles away from there. They wanted to put on a show. They opened up the game with a bomb, a courtesy for Cliff Branch, and they played hard. And you're right about the penalties. That's something they have to clean up. Mark, always good to talk to you. We'll talk to you in a couple Mondays. Thank you. Sounds good, JT. Thanks for having me on. You got it, Mark Anderson. Uh, Check out his work at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Again, when you sit there and as I mentioned at the top of the hour, when you when you talk to the legends of the game, well the guys who weren't in the Hall of Fame, but they were damn close. Raymond Chester, damn close to being a Hall of Famer. George Atkinson, right? You look at these guys, I was hanging out with them. They, they don't talk about this stuff. They don't think it's a big deal to play a running back too serious. You know, they, they're like whatever. That's not a big deal. The the big deal is getting the offensive line right. The big deal is finding out the depth of Jonathan Abram in the passing game. That's the big thing that they have to figure out here, and we're going to figure that out in the next couple of weeks. The preseason I've evolved with. I've evolved on two big topics in my career that has changed dramatically. One's college football paying players. When I came in, I was the guy, never pay them a dime. They don't deserve it. They're getting a free education. They're getting a scholarship. They're on TV They don't deserve to make money because they're not pros. I've evolved on that. I'm seeing now that these television contracts that started in the millions went to the hundreds of millions, now in the billions. And the players deserve to get some form of money. Now it's out of control and there's no rules and there's name, image, and likeness and all this other crap where these guys could make, I don't know, maybe Arch Manning literally could make $5 million his junior year if he's still at Texas. And I don't believe that. But I I cannot say they don't deserve anything. And then the other thing, when I came into the league, they played the preseason, at least some of it. I've been doing this long enough, though. There were two practices a day, and there were a lot of padded practices. That's not the case anymore. I have evolved on that topic with the coaches. I understand that if you're paying a guy $8 million a year or $7 million or $4 million a year 20 years ago or 10 years ago, and now that player is making $33 million, 
You cannot get a hamstring. You can't tweak someone. You can't hurt someone in a preseason game. It's too important for the regular season. But I've been around long enough where a guy gets a hamstring in the regular season and people are going, well, he didn't play in the preseason. What do you expect? What do you expect? The guy didn't play. The guy hasn't played. They didn't make the playoffs, which means they didn't play a playoff game. They had seven months off in the pre, uh, post, you know, in, in the offseason. Then they come into the preseason and they don't practice in pads. Then they go to the preseason games and they don't play. And you want them to be healthy the entire year? These are football players. They play football. And we're all scared of when they're going to get hurt. We don't know when they're going to get hurt. Could be practice. But we're always second-guessing the coaches for playing them or not playing them. And no one will ever have an answer to that. But I think what's evolved on this topic is most people say we can't afford to lose the quarterback. We can't lose the quarterback in the preseason game. If we lose the starting right guard, it sucks. But, hey, he's playing football. There's a pile. Someone fell on the pile. He got hurt. That's going to happen in week two through 17. That could happen any time. But a quarterback, if you put in a quarterback in the preseason and you don't have the right pass protection and you don't have the best scheme set and you're not taking it as seriously as a regular season game and your starting quarterback gets hurt, you can't make up for that. You're dead. Your tight end gets hurt, you hopefully have another tight end. Your running back gets hurt, you know, Josh Jacobs here, you got three more guys that can come in and play. Not as good as Josh, but in that category. And we're going to see what happens. I love that about this. I'm going to host the pregame show at the Torch. Come and see us coming up for the Viking game. Hopefully, I have an idea of what's going to happen and who's going to play and who's going to play a series or two. But we didn't know that going into Canton, and Josh Jacobs played. And it's good that Josh Jacobs was able to play. That was a good thing. I keep thanking all of our partners for the right reason. I wouldn't have been in Canton, Ohio for five days if it wasn't for Sam and Ash. Sam and Ash Injury Law.com because you deserve what's right. If you get into an accident, you get two for one. Sam and Ashley, two of the best attorneys in this country, and they do California all the way through Nevada. Sam and Ash Injury Law.com because you deserve what's right. I want to thank Sam and Ashley for being one of the main reasons we were out in Canton, Ohio for all those days. Really cool. Great partnership. Anthony in Minnesota. Anthony, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT, thank you. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Rare Nation Radio, you and Mark mm. Davis and what I thought about the game. But I'm super, I'm so proud of Rare Nation Radio with the content you guys mm. are providing all day long now. It blows away even KGO back in the day. I'm 59 years old, and the biggest thing we had was game day, you know, before the game and after the game. And Man, JT, just listening to you take it to that two- or three-hour coverage all the time, so appreciative of that. And I want to tell you that I was only about 100 miles or less away from Canton last week. I'm listening to the morning show talk about, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about just win Wendy and other Raider fans. I'm thinking, man, for this station to really embrace the fans and get to know them and build relationships just makes me feel so much more prouder to be a Raider fan. But you know what also makes me even more proud is Mark Davis. I have, I've got to admit, I'm surprised about how stunned I am, about how well the job I think he's doing. You know, when I grew up, he never really seemed to be involved with the Raiders. It was always Al Davis, and Al Davis was so involved with the Raiders that it was even talked about in Murbert where he'd make, you know, he'd call plays during the game down to Madden or Flores. And as a person, you kind of get a little pissy about it as a fan, but he was winning back in the 70s and 80s, so okay. But the last 10 or 15 years, we fell down, and 
you always thought, well, who's going to you know take the reins? And I, you know, I wanted it to be Mark. I wanted to stay in the family, but I was scared. And man, Mark has swung big from taking the Raiders from Oakland and going to Vegas with little or no money and putting together a package with help from other people, making it happen. He couldn't ask for more. And then swinging for the fences with some of the coaches we brought in, and now with the coach we have now with Josh McDaniels. I'm super excited, and I think he is someone as a leader who lets people do their jobs. He didn't play football or no football like his father, but he hires people who I'm proud to say that I think can get the job done. So I want to finish off by saying what impressed me most about the game and listening to it as it was going on was the play calling. And I went back and I watched some of the YouTube videos where, you know, you had a uh, – you know, jo- or he had the, the players up there playing different positions, whether it was uh, number 24 playing up at the line there or way back in center field. I'm like, where are these players going to be playing? And you had the running back starting the game. I'm super excited about the play calling and what he's going to bring come the real season, and nobody knows. So having said that, I want to say thank you to you, R&R, and Mark Davis. Thank you for all that you do. Love the stories. You have filled my summer with content that normally I think, forget about it, I tune out. But the mm-hmm. content you guys are putting forth, I listen more this year than ever before, and I listen a lot. So thank you very much, and God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the compliment there. And, again, a couple things. Uh, I've worked on all the flagships of the Raiders from the time I got here, and this is the one that cares. The other ones, there were some good people there, some people that had good intentions, but when you're competing and trying to get space with the Warriors – and the Giants, remember, I'm the only guy in the history of Raiders Radio who was told not to speak about the Raiders on the Raider flagship. They used me like a pawn, moved me up to the Bay Area or signed me to a deal and said, hey, we want you to be the Raider guy. And then they undercut me and said, don't talk about the Raiders. That was me. So I, I dealt with that. No one knew, knew what that was like when I had to deal with that. Then we built this new one, we, because I had a little bit of say in regards to some of the content, at least that I could do on my show. And everybody at the Raiders and Q, Q deserves most of the credit. I mean, this Q Myers is special. He came and said, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to make this great. And he's traveling with equipment and getting on airplanes and doing all this. And he deserves all the credit for getting our coverage at the Super Bowl when he pulled that off and especially what he was able to do in Canton, Ohio. So give Q the credit when he comes up today. Uh, the Summer of Cliff was my idea, but everybody ran with it, especially the listeners. And the callers, and we appreciate that. Thank you for that, and what a time we had. I was rewarded with the Summer of Cliff by being invited out there to MC the party. That was my reward for that, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And Josh McDaniels, we'll see what happens. It's going to come down to him making the decisions and having this team peaking before the Charger game. The Charger game's fascinating to me because the Chargers are really good. Is their roster better than the Raiders? It's close. A lot of people say yes just by a little bit because their offensive line doesn't have the problems or some of the concerns of the Raiders, but they have really good players. But Derwin James never plays. He's always hurt. He never does any damage against the Raiders. Is he better than Jonathan Abram and Trayvon Merrick? Yeah, but I never see the guy play. And then you got Bosa and Khalil Mack, and I'll take Chandler Jones and Max all day in that battle, in that battle. And then can you name the linebackers on the Chargers? At 11, they don't have Micah Parsons. They don't have a Ray Lewis there. So I look around. They got Justin Herbert. I'll take Carr in a sword fight with him any day. Special teams, Carlson and Cole. I'll take the Raiders and then the coaching. I think it's going to be much better than Boy Blunder and what's going on there with the Chargers. I'll take Devontae and Renfro and Waller over there, offensive weapons. 
but the media thinks that the Chargers are the team to beat. So the Raiders have to pace themselves throughout the preseason and then go out and have a great road trip to L.A. to start the season off and punch them in the mouth. Both teams are going to be evenly matched. If the Chargers have a better game because they put together a better game plan and they win, okay, it's not the end of the world. But the Raiders have the talent to go into L.A. and start off 1-0. The Raiders have been prepared the last couple of years with the, with the former coaches to win. Beating Baltimore last year, beating Drew Brees in New Orleans the year before that, winning in Pittsburgh against Ben Roethlisberger. Raiders winning in Carolina, long road trip. Remember that game? Opening up the season and winning. Raiders look good. And this is a new regime here who are not going to look to catch anybody sleeping. They just want to have their guys ready. And they will have their guys ready. They'll be prepared because this is one prepared staff. Uh, final segment coming up here if you want to get through on the summer of Cliff and what happened over the weekend if you were there. I think a lot of people are also traveling today. 702-365-9200 as we continue here. Raisin Cane's is proud to be the sponsor of the National Fried Chicken Festival for the fifth year. Excited. August 1st through the 28th. Go to RaisinCanes.com slash FCF 2022 for your chance to win. First of all, the Raiders have always been family. All the different players who came through the different areas to the Raider organization will always be family. That's something that Al Davis instilled in the organization. And that's the same thing that Mark Davis has continued to stress. Our former players are the foundation of where we are today. And they helped build this thing. So the Raiders will always have open arms for their former players. That is Cliff Branch when the stadium was being built. Allegiant Stadium here in Vegas. JT, as we are back from Canton, Ohio, Olivia Newton-John passed away today, so we've been playing her music in and out of breaks here. But what a road trip to Canton, and we want to thank Scott Sabella and the entire team at Resorts World, the fabulous, gigantic, amazing property here, the vision of Scott Sabella, Eight Cigar Lounge, all the venues, the music, the pool, everything they're doing there, the nightclub. We love Resorts World. You'll catch us for Monday Night Football at the Doghouse Saloon. And as I was there with Mark Davis, and we're out on the patio at the Cliff Branch Hotel, he was talking about Eight Cigar Lounge and the, the times he has out there and what a great place it is and what a great partner Resorts World is for us on Raider Nation Radio. So thanks again. We were in Canton, Ohio because of our partners, especially Resorts World, and if you haven't been there, free parking, come off the elevators, go right into Doghouse Saloon. That's where the sports book is. You'll have an opportunity to place your bets, watch the game, live music, and go see all those concerts that I've seen there, which have been amazing from Journey and the Orchestra to what we've seen with Carrie Underwood with my wife. We just love going there. Fantastic time at Resorts World. All right, so the Summer of Cliff has kind of come to an end because we did all those interviews and all those deep dives on the life of Cliff Branch. Coming back from Canton, Ohio was fantastic. I'm in my home studio today looking at my gift bag, which was a beautiful old-school duffel bag from the 1970s, something that Cliff would have as he got on the plane or walked into the Coliseum on game day, and all the nice shirts and pins and hats and everything we had 
I'm sure much of that's going to be at Raider Image, so you can all be a part of Cliff Branch. So the last couple of years, it was Cliff, Tom Flores before that, Kenny the Snake Stabler. We talked about Jim Plunkett today, Lester Hayes. All the other great players, Greg Townsend, Phil Villapiano, George Atkinson. You know, not everybody gets to go to the Hall of Fame. I noticed it when I was there. There's a lot of good players around Canton, Ohio, who are not wearing gold jackets, but they're damn close. I thought Bryant Young's speech was fantastic. He talked about his son dying and how that changed his life and his wife and the rest of the family. That was incredible. Here's Bryant Young, who spoke before Elaine Anderson, Cliff's sister, at the Hall of Fame. In this, my 10th year of eligibility, I entered the Hall as a member of its 22-20-22-22. It was Kobe's favorite number. Thank you. Yeah, his son Kobe and the speech that he gave about his son. I don't think there's anything more difficult. He had to wait 10 years. That was the 10th year of him waiting. Was he a Hall of Famer 10 years ago? Of course he was. But the politics and the voting kept him out. And there were probably some players better than him that got in. But he was there with the Niner legends, Eddie DeBartolo, Ronnie Lott, Jerry Rice, Steve Young, all the ones that were there to welcome him in. And the speech was about his son, which was beautiful. Imagine being a father and outliving your child who fought hard through cancer. Then you get into the Hall of Fame and you make the most of the speech. The entire speech was about his son who passed away. How great is that? You want to talk about a guy who was focused on what his goal was. It was beautiful. I thought Elaine Anderson did a nice job. Mark Anderson, uh, Mark Davis as the presenter was fantastic. And everybody at the Raiders who brought us there and back on the airplane, the Raiderettes, uh, the Raiderette alumni, the current Raiderettes, and all the friends of Cliff Branch, teammates and friends over the year. It is a honor and a milestone for me to be out there and to see so many good friends. Hope you enjoyed it today. Q's on deck. He's got probably as many stories, if not more, than I do, because he was there for all of it. So thank you. Going to rest up. I'll be on tonight, 6 to 9 p.m. on Sirius XM 82. You should have Sirius XM. It's a great way to listen to radio. That's it. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. Mark Anderson, who joined us. See you back here for the rest of the week. Thanks, everybody.